on May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. When these tennis players win, I don't know what they be doing. I would have started crip walking. I would have started <laughs> shouting. Their prize money be like $2.5 million out here. So it's different in tennis. We don't win different. no championships in basketball. And I'm talking women's basketball where you win a $2.5 million at bonus 18. for winning. At, at 18. 18. At 18, 18 baby. At 18 I'm years what, old. They handle it so well. I saw one tear drip down her face as, you know, yeah. I'm going to tell you right now, I would have acted a fool up there. Don't let me win that 2.5 million in one tournament. You might not see me for a couple years. Anything with more than one comma in it is a lot of 100%. money. Congrats to Emma. Renee, it was football overload this weekend, starting last Thursday with the Cowboys losing to Tom Brady, who is not washed. Still good. Newsflash. But there were some surprising results as well. Aaron Rodgers, who uh, it just in his overall demeanor is a washed-looking fellow. I'm sure he's not washed. Oh and his Packers God. looked out of sync against the Saints. The Browns look like they might stomp the Chiefs, but Pat Mahomes put the gabosh on that. Uh, we will talk about his belly uh, in a little bit. Plus, we had some major upsets in college football. Uh, plus, Jokovic uh, losing his chance at a, a single-calendar Grand Slam. And then, man, it is a battle of teens on the women's side at the U.S. Open. Yeah, Lots of stuff to start with. Uh, let's start with the NFL. Tom Brady. I watch Cowboys games for two reasons. One, my mom is inexplicably a Cowboys fan. And then uh, my good friend Jason Gallagher is a Cowboys fan. And oh, I just want to know Gallagher. how much he might or might not be hurting. And then for this particular game, I tuned in basically to see, okay, what's up with Tom Brady? And it was wild watching it and then checking in on social media because everybody you could feel people just like hanging their heads like, fuck, he's still good. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> how is he still no, definitely. good? It's almost like how people turn into like the Jake Paul fights or the Conor McGregor <laughs> fights. There's a group of them that tune in to see those people succeed and to see them do awesome. But there's also a large group that tune in just to see them fail. And it's interesting because Tom Brady, you, it's almost like he can tell that there's that energy behind a certain group. He ain't going for it. It's like that TB12. He is a poster board for it. It clearly works because every year, like the Patriots, think about the Patriots statement now, two years later then, because every year people think, surely this is the year where Tom Brady doesn't look like Tom Brady. And it ain't 2021. I can tell you that. Let me just say that Daniel Jones threw 50% less uh, interceptions or, or turned the ball over 50% less than Tom Brady. And what does that mean? I'm not sure what that means. I can't say. Uh, let's go. <laughs> let's go to uh, Saints Green Bay Packers. A lot of buzzer about this game because of the offseason churn and the drama with Aaron Rodgers. Does he want to stay with the Packers? Does he want out? How is that going to affect anything that happens? Uh, and the freaking Saints just demolished. The Packers. They came ready to play. Absolutely embarrassed us today, said head coach Matt LaFleur. By the way, when he said this, like, I go watch it. I think he chokes up. Like, he legitimately, like, had a tear in his eye. Um, Rodgers would later say, like, I'll let, uh, I'll let the coach uh, use words like that, but was pretty open about how badly everybody played, including himself. He put himself front and center there. Uh, it's time for a haircut. Is that the way to, how do we like, oh that, that's the only thing like, let's maybe Will let's trim help? it up. I, let's switch the energy. I think we need different energy. Well, you know, I mean, Aaron Rodgers. it's every, like athletes really have this thing about you train how you play and you play how you train. So with this off season and so much going on, I mean, we saw 
Aaron Rodgers was living his best life. Like I was actually here yeah, for it. He was going on. He was going on trips with his girl. Like they was at cabins, karaoke. They were yeah. going on walks on the trail. And he, he was, was in the, he was in the back of a pickup truck. He was in the bed yeah. of a pickup truck riding around to get completely beer. unbothered. Like, it was, seemed fun. He was living his best life. And the reason I say that is because sometimes that stuff comes back to to, to bite you in a sense of your week one game. I'm not saying that Aaron Rodgers might have a bad season. I mean, this is his worst quarterback rating at a 36.8 since 2014. He'll clearly bounce back, but I don't know if I'm surprised just from the athlete mentality of when everyone's not on the same page, that shows up sometimes on the field in a sense of the chemistry and maybe they didn't have enough time to build enough chemistry yet. So the season's not over, but I'm just not surprised. How does that... You know, obviously, one of us is an elite athlete, and is, and it's not me, and has played at the highest levels. But like, when somebody has off-season something, right? Drama mm-hmm. with the team, uh, friction with how they're being used with their contract, etc. Yeah, I mean, y- y'all are incredible at compartmentalizing. But how does that bleed into what you're trying to do when you do take the court or the field or whatever? No, completely. Like compartmentalizing is like my best friend in a sense of in sports, you just have to do that. But there's like chemistry is a thing that's built over time. It's kind of like when LeBron James and and Chris Bosh went to the Miami Heat, everyone thought they were going to win instantly. Like, look at all that talent. You got to win right now. It doesn't work that way. Like sports, you have to build a certain thing. Like it's the trust, it's the camaraderie, it's the chemistry, it's the timing. And so I think in football, Timing is everything, as we know. And so if you haven't built that relationship with your right receivers yet with the timing on the plays, it's going to show up. And then you are going to have the teammates that's like, all right, bro, come on with it. Like, all right, enough vacation. <laughs> yeah. like, I would be the one to text in the group chat to Aaron Rodgers like, you done yet? You ready to come hoop? But it's the thing <laughs> is, the thing is, Aaron Rodgers was actually standing up for his teammates. So I think right. it was probably the reverse for him. They probably were texting him like, yo, bro, I appreciate what you're doing. Because even when he came back, we all remember the speech he gave. He yeah. let everyone know exactly why I wasn't coming back. And so I don't know. I think with Aaron Rodgers, he's going to have his teammates support. So I think it's more so about just the timing and, and building the chemistry that just takes time to do. Next up, uh, Pat Mahomes is Pat Mahomes is a Chiefs rally 33-29 over uh, the Cleveland Browns. Let me just say, I believe in moral victories. I am a moral victory person. (laughs) I understand that the Browns are now on year 17 of not winning uh, an opener. Fine. But if I'm a Browns fan, I'm like, hey, we look pretty good. Let's tighten up the defense and we'll figure it out. Like we, we gave Pat Mahomes... And the Chiefs uh, run for their money. Now, all of that is important. But what I think is more important is the realization that there is a term water belly. We were discussing Pat Mahomes. I was, I was like in the, in the pre-pro meeting, I was like, Pat Mahomes has a little gut, right? A little belly, a little belly protruding over the, over the waistband. And, Lord. and Renee, you said, you said he has what? I said he has a what? I was like, you mean his water belly? Uh, I love it. Yeah. What is water belly? Okay, so I've been talking about water bellies for a long time since I was young because everyone knows when you chug a lot of water, it makes you get... (laughs) If you chug a lot of water... All of a sudden, you might get that little hangover. You might get that little <laughs> bloop over the, the belt buckle. So I used to always, you know, when you push your stomach out and you can fake yeah. pregnant, everyone's yeah. done it. You yeah, can get yeah. that natural water belly when you drink a lot of water. So athletes can come out of timeout. We've seen, I think James Harden lives with a water belly. We saw he had a water belly in Houston. He got traded he and the water, water belly, belly was gone. It was no longer there in Brooklyn. Everyone was wondering, where did the weight loss come from? I'm like, yo, that got to be a water belly. You drink yeah. a lot of water. We hydrate people. That's a water belly. Now, Patrick Mahomes, you carry it well. Now, I, I will say that this water belly would seem to fit what happened in the game because, again, the, the Chiefs were getting run by the Browns. Halftime comes. Maybe Patrick Mahomes goes and, and goes to the bathroom comes back oh and all of a sudden God. his clothes are fitting a little better. He's able oh to move around goodness. a little easier. And that ball is moving around. I Here's another. It's funny you mentioned James Harden because I have a, uh, I have a similar uh, thing 
body shape term, which I call round face syndrome or round face disease. A lot of Asians have this. I have this. My brother has it. And what round face is, is if you just have like a round shaped head, you always look like you're carrying a few extra pounds, even if it's not the case. And I think that's why it's like James Harden with the beard. It's a great idea because he has, if you look at, he has cheeks. He has like Eric Gordon's another guy like this, a very round face. Carmelo Anthony, very round face. And it just, people would always be like, oh man, Mel is out of shape. I'm like, he's not out of shape. He just has a round head. That's a that's good all. point. You know what? That's actually a really good point. Something that people have to stop saying about athletes. They're not out of shape, even if you can look at them and think that they got a little baby fat on them. Right. I just want people to know that in general, the worst out of shape athlete that you guys may no. see is probably in amazing shape in general. If you're no, looking no like for visual, but round face, Jason, never heard of it. <laughs> I never heard of it. But as you say it, 100 percent. I could see how that could be a thing, especially some people, the first place they gain weight is in their face. It's unfortunate. Like, but if they start to put on weight, you can literally see it on their face. You know, some people, it yes. might go to your love handles. So for the round face people, if they do get a little more cheeks, yeah, we got to stop body shaming athletes. <laughs> I'm standing up here right now for yes. the athletes. Thank this you. must stop. We have to stop Thank body you. shaming athletes, the round face, the water bellies. What are we the doing water here? Bellies. <laughs> water bellies. What I are we never doing here? Ever. I love it. I love it. But we did all notice it. We did all notice it. We little bit did of a, all notice. Bit of a water and belly. you know what, though? As far as the quarterback position is concerned, I don't ever think of them about chiseled gods anyway. Like, right. as I look around the league at the Roethlisberger's of the world, I just don't think action figures when I think of them. So yeah. maybe it's best that quarterbacks have water bellies because they got to stay hydrated out there. They're talking a lot. They're calling the plays. Audibles. I'm just saying. I don't know. He's 25, too. He's a young guy, Mahomes. Like, you, at that age, yeah. you are just you can run off even if he's not, like, in – if he's not, like, a gym, gym, gym rat. Right. He's 20, you're young. He's, you can run off youth fuel at that point. And I mean, by the way, he got three touchdowns, yeah. 337 yards, 27 for 36. I mean, he's so just if insane. he does have a water belly or if he does have a little bloop, it don't matter. He out there getting busy, baby. I, he's insane. I mean, he had the, the, his his running touchdown was like a 40 yard run. And it looked it's he's like Steve Nash in that, like, he doesn't seem fast, but he just makes the decision at the right time to change directions and he gets and it's just the perfect to where right he needs to decision. go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he knows exactly where he needs to get to. He gets there and it's over. Like, yeah, I agree. It's like he's not going to razzle dazzle you, but he gets it done. Water belly and all. With the legal gambling market expanding, sports betting hits record numbers during NFL's opening season. GeoComply Solutions, which is a Canadian geolocation company, said Monday that it recorded a record number of transactions placed between Thursday night. When the NFL uh, season began with Cowboys Bucks uh, through 7 p.m. on Sunday, 58.2 million geolocation transactions across 18 states and Washington, D.C., a 126 percent increase from the same period uh, over 2020 in the NFL season. Um, the states that saw the most activity, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Illinois and Arizona. This is just more evidence that sports betting is here, what a turnaround from a few years ago when it was literally just not a thing you talked about, and now it is just absolutely part of sports in general and part of the revenue streams for all the leagues that are participating in this. It's wild what's going on it's right wild. now. I mean, it's really wild because there's no putting the genie back in the bottle in a sense of going back. This is a part of sports now. It's like a part of the sports culture. DraftKings generated $614 million in revenue Ooh. in 2020. And expects to cash in $1 billion this year. Like, the numbers are crazy. So you it's imagine, crazy. imagine a business that's making that much money. I just can't wait to see this play out. I, just, I know we've talked about this before, but this, the way it's going, the trajectory of how it's yes. going, 81% spike from 2019. I mean, that's dramatic. It's, it's changing the sports culture like at such a rate that I'm just curious, like at what, where, like, where is it going to cut off? If, if you got to think, cause sports are ran on money. Now I know people think right. sports is a game, and, but sports is really a business first. 
if the the DraftKings of the world are really bringing in that certain type of revenue, they're going to run the sports world. Like it's going to be there. Everything is going to be revolving around betting instead of the betting revolving around sports. I know it might sound crazy, but money moves things. I mean, here's the thing that one, this is an activity aside from whether this is good or bad. This is an activity, whether it's legal or illegal, that people just want to take part in. Number one. Yep. And two, I think you're exactly right in terms of like, we don't understand. We're in the middle of it now. We don't understand how this will shape sports going forward. Like we, yes, more money coming in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But we don't understand what the real effects are going to be. Because to your point, I mean, this is a lot of money that comes separate from TV contracts, from TV contracts, from all the other partnerships that come with so many other strings attached. This is just a faucet of money that we're skimming off the people who want to gamble and they uh, people across the globe want to gamble. So when these numbers, as we watch these numbers rise, what are the effects going to be? What are the effects going to be when, uh, you know, when we start? regularly going into the billion dollar regions it's we don't know yet but it is it's fascinating to think about because yeah i agree with you we don't know how this will change sports and we we don't don't. know like think about too when now DraftKings is sponsoring jerseys they're sponsoring the commercials they're sponsoring the events they're like it's going to be to a point where they can like betting can almost monopolize certain things because who can keep up sponsorship wise with them? Like if you have companies that have so much money that they can pour into it, we already see DraftKings on podcasts. We see DraftKings on Turner, you know, like they're already everywhere. So it's like, they're going to start betting the whole betting world. Everything is going to start positioning around it because like you said, to get those billion dollar incomes you usually have to have a four-year deal or something you have to show x amount again this is every year they can make every one year billion. it just comes in it just comes in and you don't have to do anything it doesn't matter crazy who the stars are in that particular game you don't have to worry about uh, selling a particular game to your broadcast partners you Nothing. don't have to worry about them selling commercials it's just the activity that is already going on and would go on no matter essentially who is playing it's it's a spigot of money and we don't know what will happen with it (laughs) crazy have you ever brought your magic to walt disney world like hey we came to play did you tip your tiara to a creole princess or get goofy officially step up like a boss and save the day or see what life's like under the tree of life. Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Let's go to college football. I want to talk about something that we brought up in pre-pro. The Ohio State Buckeyes were upset by the Oregon Ducks, 35-28. OSU did not play particularly well, but a lot of people are blaming the performance on a Buckeyes drum major who came running down the ramp out of the tunnel and just goes headfirst into the ground, (laughs) which is an incredibly funny video if you want to look it up on social media. It, it it went viral on Twitter, and it, I gotta say, I'm watching it. I'm having, I have it now, and it is like Jason Gallagher in our pre meeting <laughs> called it a cartoon fall, and it really is. Like it's, it's like crazy because imagine <laughs> this poor guy, first game of the season. I'm running out there leading the charge, and I bloop. That's the worst thing that could have happened, Jason. And I had to post it because my dad <laughs> is from Ohio. We have Buckeyes everywhere in our family. So I had to post it to my 
to my story and say, like, man, it, it was a tough day for Ohio State fans. And Mama James, shouts to LeBron's mom, she's cracking up. I had to send her my condolences. Like, I know that was a hard blow all around. Like, they had a tough game. They took it to heart. Yeah. And for some reason, Ohio State fans <laughs> thought that this drum major had something to do with the poor performance of the football no, players well, that's, now. Okay. Come yeah. on, Jason. Sports fans, we, like, athletes and sports fans got to be the most superstitious people known to man because if anything goes wrong, that's why things went wrong. I So he comes out of the – he comes off the ramp, and it's like I, – I've been there before where the top half of your body is going faster than your feet, and you are just – and you're trying to catch up, but you can't. And then he just goes it down. It's not he, level. It's not it's level. It's not level. And it could have been worse. Like, he could have gone into the stanchion. He misses the stanchion, which is lucky. I'll say this. Like, you know as an athlete, sports, anybody that is involved in sports, as a player or as a fan or as a whatever, you're superstitious, period. One. It's hard to win. Sometimes, you know, luck plays an outsized role in winning and losing. You can be... You can be the most well-coached, most prepared, most whatever team, and a bounce of the ball can change everything, right? So luck yep. matters. I used to – I was telling uh, you guys this before in pre-pro. Like when I, – I would watch Knicks games as a kid. If the Knicks hit a shot when I was in a certain position, I would freeze and not move until Jason, they missed. <laughs> that is wild, Jason. I would sit there – like if I had a, a bowl of cereal like, and I had just taken a spoonful, I would – Sit there like with the bowl of cereal positioned like the spoon up. I would not move. There's That's no just, way. I, I did that. I would do that. And listen, oh it's insane God. that people would blame him. But also it makes sense, doesn't it? Come on. Didn't you have any superstitions as a player? You didn't have any like things? Yeah. I, listen, I'm going to tell you right now. I might be like when I was a player, I was one of those. I have a routine and I stick to yeah. it. I'm eating at a certain time. I'm taking my nap at a certain time. I roll up to the gym at a same time. And, you know, they say certain athletes, you can set your clock by them. If you see them walk in, you know it's 530. If you see them yeah. leaving, you know it's like I was that athlete. So I don't know if routines are superstition, but when I my routine was off, I felt What would you do? What? So if so, let's say if somebody... If somebody, either you forgot something heading out or somebody calls you when you're in the middle of whatever and holds you up for five minutes, ten minutes while you're in your routine, what would your reaction be? You know, I I would have to, it would depend. So, like, for me, I always try to figure out what's the quickest way to get back to the routine. So, right. basically, like, if I'm needing to go back and get something it's going to take too long, not doing that. There's got to be shoes at the gym or something. Like, I would wear old shoes before I'd go back and get the shoes with all the traction <laughs> because that's just too many of the routine now old falling shoes. apart. So, I would have to get the the no traction in the gym, beaters, before I would go back and get the game. Because, to me, then I've missed three routines instead of just the one or one thing. So, for me, it's like the... What's the quickest way to get to the problem solving? One of the things that athletes is the family. When families come into town, yeah. families want to just have a blast. Oh, we're in LA. We're playing Vegas. Let's go. No, y'all go. I'll have to chill out. So I'm really like, would one they of those, know like, your, but would they know your routine though? Like after a oh, while yeah. and they would like, and I would imagine, cause I've seen that I've been around uh, stuff like this, where it's like somebody has a routine and the family knows about it and they will play the interference person for anybody else. They'll be like, they're in their routine. Don't bother them right now. 100%. And my parents, here's how my parents, how bad they are. If I'm texting in the family group chat and it's during my <laughs> nap hour, everybody kind of goes silent. Like they won't even respond to try to engage because they don't want me to try to engage with them. So my family's like for real, for real about that. They they want to make sure like they would never want it to be them that I, everyone knows too. Like I'm very routine -y. Even like yeah. I sit like, this is going to sound bad, but I'll even like on the planes, I like certain seats. Like if I can get- Oh, I do the same thing. I want, okay, I perfect. Seat. Yeah, I, I need like I get the same number on the same seat, so yeah. I like to just be in my normal row twelve. Listen, I I'm like ten A. All right, come on, <laughs> with it. Like, that that's what it is. So I'm just and I'm a window girl, so that's that's what I do, and it doesn't matter if it's sports or not. I got rituals, I got routines. The U.S. Open finals were this weekend, uh, which is a thing that at certain points in my life I really really cared about. I tried out to be a ball boy at the U.S. Open once. I did not make the cut. 
uh, 25-year-old Daniil Medvedev of Russia, who is six foot six and should think about a shooting guard in the NBA, handed uh, Novak Djokovic a stunning 6-4-6-4-6-4 loss. It was a dominant performance from Medvedev, and it denied Djokovic, Djokovic a single-season Grand Slam win. Djokovic says, I was glad it was over because the buildup for this tournament and everything that mentally, emotionally I had to deal with throughout the tournament in the last couple of weeks was just a lot. It was a lot to handle. On the women's bracket, uh, pair of teenagers, incredible display from two young players, Emma Raducanu, who became the first qualifier ever to make it to the finals of a major, incredible, 18 years old uh, from Britain, beats... 19-year-old Leila Fernandez, a Filipino uh, hero overnight, basically, from Canada, 6463, making her the first British woman to win the U.S. Open since 1968 and the youngest Grand Slam winner since Maria Sharapova won Wimbledon at age 17 in 2004. This was, it was a really fun, it was a fun weekend. I love the U.S. Open. I was a big tennis person for a lot of my life. And the fact that we had like an all Asian women's final was super yeah. fun. And then one of them was Filipino was amazing. I'm sad she lost, but it no, was, an, really it was dope. an amazing run. It was super dope. That's really dope. And you know, well, I, first thing, tennis might need to reevaluate how tennis does business because all I hear mm. from a lot of tennis players is that they're mentally, emotionally drained, depressed. Yes. This was on the men's side. You heard Jokovic talk about it on the men's side. We all know Naomi Osaka talks about it quite often on the women's side. Serena mm -hmm. Williams has talked about it. Venus Williams has talked about it. So just in general now, as I heard you like read his quote, I started to think like, I know it's an individual sport and that's a lot of pressure because sports puts a lot of pressure on your shoulders, even for a team sport. But something about what's going on in tennis it feels like everyone's depressed and I don't like, I don't know, not everyone, but it feels like I hear a lot of people talking about mental and emotional wear and tear on them that they need breaks or they need to get away or it's tough. That's the first, like just hearing you say that about Jokovic. And then secondly, Emma, boo-boo, Emma, when these, when these <laughs> tennis players win, I don't know what they be doing. I would have started crip walking. I would have started shouting. <laughs> Their prize money be like $2.5 million out here. So it's different in tennis. We don't win different. no championships in basketball. And I'm talking women's basketball where you win a $2.5 million at bonus 18. for winning. At 18. At 18, 18, 18 baby. <laughs> 18 I'm years what, old. They handle it so well. I saw one tear drip down her face as, you know, yeah. she was... I'm going to tell you right now, I would have acted a fool up there. Don't let me win that 2.5 million in one tournament. You might not see me for a couple years. I know a lot of them, Jason, you have a feeling about they late, but that's a lot of money to win at one time. Congrats to Emma. Anything with more than one comma in it is a lot of 100%. money. Anything oh, with wow. a, listen, with a, with a comma in it, I love. Two commas in it, amazing. I, I will <laughs> say, back to your what you were saying about the pressure and the wear and tear and and the stress Chris Everett after the women's match after the women's final said, I'm going to paraphrase now, but like something to the effect of, I hope these young ladies, because you know, when you have something like this, tennis seems to be a sport where teenagers break through with more regularity than in other sports. And when that happens, especially when all of a sudden they're, they're in finals, you hear a lot of the future of the sport, the future of the sport, the future of the sport isn't good. That's a lot to put on yeah. an 18 and a 19 year old. And Chris Everett uh, said after the game, she was like, um, I hope they have people around them that allow them to be teenagers that insulate them from all of the things and just allow them to be kids. And it got me thinking Again, tennis is a sport where where people break through young. Monica Seles, uh, Chris Everett herself, Tracy Austin, um, Roddick. Like a lot of teenagers break through. Naomi Osaka, Coco Goff. Yeah. But it's becoming rarer and rarer that these teens have long careers. Like it just seems like, you know, Coco Goff is a great example of somebody who like broke through and then has kind of faded away. And I, I, I don't know what the answer is, but I do wonder – what it is about tennis that one allows young people to break through, which is exciting and fun, but then also seems to burn them out so quickly because it really does seem like, yeah. you know, Naomi will likely have a long and great career. That said, I think 
where we are now, if she decided to step away for eight months or a year or some amount of time, yeah, no one would blink, right? So I, I don't know what the answer is. I just wonder what it is because I think that's one of the things that keeps, you know, tennis has been in this state of like crisis for yeah. a couple of decades now where there's like, how do we get more people to watch? What's wrong with American tennis on the, you know, on the men's side, the women's side is fine. But like, what is it? What is it that, that is burning people out this, this, this quickly? I don't know. Well, it's interesting because I don't know what's burning the players out. But now imagine a tennis world who on the women's side is fighting to get viewership. No Serena Williams, no Naomi Osaka. That's those Naomi Osaka was one of those crossover type athletes where people might not like tennis, but they love Naomi Osaka. So they're going to watch tennis. Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods. So even those players, it's even a little bit deeper than that for tennis, because if you had these child hood teen stars that you're banking on being your future star and all of them are starting to burn out quick, take breaks, are are mentally struggling. That's why I said tennis has to figure out the business of tennis and maybe how to do it a certain way that the athletes don't get so burnt out because burnt out athletes isn't good for viewership. It's not good for the athlete. It's not good for the sport. And I don't know. There's something about tennis. And even when you look at a Jokovic, He's one of those guys that a lot of people talked about Serena Williams outbursts. He has a lot of outbursts too. Yeah, he, he is throws, a fiery guy. He throws He's, a lot of tantrums right there in front of everyone to see. And I know that on the men's side, it's not judged as harshly as on the women's side. But yeah, to put it lightly, <laughs> like I, you know, I was yeah. trying to put it nicely. Yeah, but, but he's yep. somebody that. We watch him melt down on a regular, and I'm not saying that to there is that, Jason, but the point I'm trying to make is that these athletes are melting down right in front of us. Like, we're watching them. We watch Naomi Osaka go through it. We've seen Serena Williams go through it, and we literally watch these tennis stars break down mentally on the tennis court right there, and so that doesn't usually happen in sports like basketball where a player might be on the bench going off, but the camera's at the game, so you don't necessarily see them losing it on the bench Tennis players don't have anywhere to hide. Yeah, there, there. It is. It is on the one hand compelling. Like I remember one of my favorite matches when I was a kid watching tennis was Michael Chang beating uh, Yvonne Lendl at the French. Michael Chang, they had him listed at five nine. I don't know. He looked smaller than that, and he was having like these cramps, and so he had to serve underhand, and then Lendl like just should have beat him but he just melted down in his own mind like he was unable to cope with whatever it was and that is compelling to watch when you can see that something is not working and that feeling of i don't have an answer yeah it it is it is a compelling watch on the other hand tough for athletes who are 17 18 19 20 years old i can't imagine like a, a life where you can't even share there's not a teammate that can like put their arm around you or anything like you're just there that's you just melting down in front of everybody in front of the entire crowd it's it's and a you're lot and i to talk to your coach by the way like you know what i mean right, like yeah, the yeah. weird thing about tennis they is all do it even while i know they do it but the fact yeah. that the way it's shaped and framed you're right. not supposed to but you're not who supposed else to are you supposed to talk to when you're melting down you can't figure it out you need a strategy you need help it's like Tennis really puts tennis players on an island. I can't wait to see more from both of these players. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13.
clearly something devastating happening this morning at the World Trade Center. We're trying to process what actually happened. To be here, it's, it's hard to believe. And baseball just happened to be the right vehicle at the right time to help us cope. I feel honored that we gave the people something to feel good about. That was from the new documentary, Extra Innings from 9-11, 20 years later. It tells the story of how baseball helped aid both New York City and the nation recover in the weeks and months following the attacks of 9-11. We're joined now by the producers and directors of the documentary, Ross Greenberg and Joe Levine. Fellas, thank you for joining us. Thanks for to be with you. Uh, you're both acclaimed Emmy and Peabody award-winning filmmakers. Uh, Ross, you were the president of HBO Sports for 10 years. Both very experienced people in the, in the industry. What, what made you want to take on this particular subject? Let you start that off, Ross. Okay. Well, we, I got a call from Sandy Montag, who a uh, great entrepreneur in our business. And he had sold this concept to Turner, who in turn had HBO Max standing by to broadcast it. So he asked if I'd be interested in producing and directing this film. So immediately I said yes, because I had had the great joy of working with Joe Levine on a similar project that we did 15, 16 years ago for HBO when we were there. And we had done something right after 9-11. A couple years later, we did a piece called Nine Innings from Ground Zero, where we looked at this same subject, but from a different point of view. So I immediately called Joe and said, would you like to do this with me? Because uh, we like to work together and it had been a while. So we ended up embarking on this journey and loving every minute of it. It's an important piece. I I think it was, and Ross, you can correct me, I think it was Howard Cosell that said that uh, sports is the the toy department of life. It really did take on a a lot of importance and a lot of responsibility, and I couldn't wait to work with Ross on this. You know, I never heard sports are the toy section of life. That's awesome. I'm going to steal that. Howard Cosell. Love that. Thank you. And so for those who don't know, you all actually made another 9-11 documentary 20 years ago, Nine Innings from Ground Zero. Now, this new film features interviews from some of the family members of the fallen people two decades ago. But what stood out to you the most after revisiting this story 20 years later? Hmm. One of the things we did was enlist Joe Torrey and Bobby Valentine to be our guides. That was important to us. Uh, You know, they had such a unique perspective, having been inside with the Mets and Yankees as the managers and heading their ship. And so it was important to enlist them. The thing that surprised, I think, Joe and I the most was basically that now we were living in a pandemic. And for us to kind of go back and see the desperation that existed in New York, in our city, because Joe and I both lived in New York at the time, and then to see where we are as an entire country today, and to kind of just look back and say, okay, how did we get back to some normalcy then? How did we get out of that funk then uh, and return to life with a smile on our face from such devastating tragedy? And that, you know, The surprise was that we came out of this process and Joe and I loved the fact that we had hope. You know, it gave people hope. Even though everyone's shedding a tear, we're getting reactions now for those that watch it and everyone's crying their eyes out, that those those tears aren't of supreme sadness. They're of kind of hope. And that that's what we love about this film. Yeah. You know, I just want to say when when Ross and I did this years ago, um, I have to admit I was I was skeptical because here I'm finding out what baseball helps these people who just you know lost someone near and dear to them. And it's baseball. But when we started to do the research and we started to talk to people, I was shocked to find out that, in fact, was true. I was finding out that for two 
three, maybe four hours a night while they watched a game, they could kind of get back to normalcy a little bit. And it started what we call the healing. So then to take that and what I learned back then, and now to take it 20 years forward and to go back now and talk to some of those same people who we talked to back then, and then new people, because this does have most of the stories in this show are new stories to the subject that we did back then. There's only a couple that we go back and revisit. But I was skeptical in the beginning and, and it really, it surprised me. I mean, I, I, I starting with Ross, I, I'll never forget walking past his office after game three, which was the game where George Bush threw out the first ball. And Ross looked at me and he says, I have our next documentary. And I had no idea what he was talking about. I mean, I, you know, it's, this is just a couple of weeks after 9-11 and he's telling me that. And Ross can really touch on that better than me. But that was, you know, the, the first time I thought, what, you could do this as a show? And uh, yeah, I mean, that was all Ross at that point. <laughs> I had been what was to it? game three, oh, sorry, so I witnessed it. I, I had just been to game three. I was sitting there witnessing it. And then as I left the stadium, I high five 10 cops because I was a Yankee fan, full disclosure. I high five 10 cops. And at that moment, when I high five the 10th, I said, oh, my God, I'm living a documentary. And that's why the next morning wow. I pulled Joe into the office. What, what, what do you think it was about baseball in particular that allowed people to rally around it? Of course, the Yankees were involved and they were they were a, a great team at that time and they were in the World Series. Uh, but it feels it feels like a lot of this is particular to baseball, unique to baseball. Yeah. Well, first of all, baseball is played every night as opposed to footballs once a week. You know, hockey hadn't really started yet. Uh, basketball hadn't really started up yet. Just football had just started. So baseball is in every, you know, it's there. It's especially in New York at the time. The Mets had had a great year the year before to been to the World Series and played the Yankees. So there was still a lot of interest there. And of course, the Yankees are the Yankees. They were in the postseason the play, or starts early in the playoffs. So every night you could turn and watch this drama. And not only are you watching the Yankees, the Yankees and the Mets they started to symbolize New York. You know, it's like, oh, they're fighting back. And whether you bought that or not, it, it was being displayed every night. So that's why I think the timing of it had so much to do with why so many people turned to baseball. And in both cases, there was a de there was a development with the community, you know, Bobby Valentine. We went into depth this time with the Mets as well as the yeah. Yankees because we wanted to kind of show – how Bobby Valentine led a core of, of Mets, including John Franco, who was an all-time yeah. great Met who grew up in New York. Brooklyn guy, uh, yeah. Brooklyn guy. So we wanted to kind of portray that and then lead into the Piazza game, which to this day is one of the great home run moments in the history of the game, not just because of the drama of doing it in the bottom of the eighth, but set against 9-11. And then, of course, the Yankee run. Um, all the way through the World Series. Uh, that You know, the other thing is 60,000 would congregate at this stadium you know, every night. And then, of course, you had millions watching, uh, especially when it was the World Series. So the drama went up a notch. And the fact that 9-11 was so closely followed by all this incredibly insane drama on the field, these home runs of Jeter and Tino and Brocious out of nowhere. Um, it, it, it just, you know, those moments would never have been forgotten, but the fact that they followed 9-11 make them insurmountable. You know, it's interesting because Jason asked about what was it about baseball for 9-11, but I'm curious, what is it about sports and moments mm -hmm. of tragedy? You know, you look at 2020 and what happened with the civil mm -hmm. unrest and basketball took the lead, you know, because, again, timing of it is what you talked about. Basketball was in season during it. We know the athletes went to the bubble and their perspective wobble. So what is it about sports in times of tragedy that just makes the community or our nation gravitate towards it? I think it's because you can get so many people in one setting, first of all, so that when, you know, Bush goes out to the mound, you can chant USA in unison and millions are also watching that kind of energy. Um, and so on the field, you know, wherever you are during a moment of crisis, 
that's where people congregate. Uh, if it was a, a concert, that would be fine too. But there aren't these moments where you can feel the energy from so many about one historic kind of moment. And uh, so tragedy turns into momentous occasions, I guess. And I think it also has a little bit to do with the, the as I call it, the, the healthy distraction, you know, that you could get away from something that, that's so horrific for a couple hours at a time. And I think that's why people turn to whether it be sports or, you know, something else that's near and dear to them. But in our case, absolutely in sports. And, you know, that the one thing I also thought about with sports is that the passion people bring to it to root for their team, you know. And, and their heroes, that also, that connection, you don't get that in anything else, but you get that in sports. So if Mike, if you're a Met fan and you're watching that game, it's a bomb getting chills. As I say it, I'm a Yankee fan. Bottom of the eighth, you know, man on, down by a run, post 9-11, first game back at Shea, and Mike Piazza gets in. The batter. It was one of the loudest bat cracks, too, that I think I've ever heard. It was like, Pock! you just heard it. You're right. You're right. Whoever did the audio that night for the game should be rewarded. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Something else. Yeah. A big part of this doc is about the 2001 World Series between the Yankees and the Diamondbacks. New York went down. Two games very early, then rallied back in the series, winning three in a row, and ultimately the D-backs took it in seven. Um, but it's an interesting what if, you know, right? Like, what would have happened if the Yankees won that? What do you What do you think? <laughs> oh, we've thought about that. Joe and I have thought about that for twenty years. Yeah. Um, you know, at the end of the day, when we ended this one, and Joe will expand on it too. We felt like we, we kind of en encapsulated the fact that games three, four, and five were really the story. The fact they were at Yankee Stadium and those incredible home runs happened, though, you know, down to the last out and four, down to the last out and five, two home runs to even up the score back to back on consecutive nights. The Bush pitch, you know, I think it was Bernie Williams in the doc who said it best. He kind of said, I was proudest to be a professional ball player during that World Series. And he meant those moments. You know, mm. that's what that's what it was all about. The fact that the Yankees were doing that at home post 9-11, that's what it was all about. It wasn't the fact that Mariano, you know, got lit in the ninth inning in game seven. That that was just and and in a way, it kind of to see the Diamondbacks rejoice and their fans go wild. That was okay, too. It was like defeat sometimes can bring out more drama in a story. I, I don't personally, um, I don't think it would have mattered that much. I mean, it certainly wouldn't have changed anything, anyone's personal uh, situation. But um, in talking to these people back then and, and now this new group of people, it was more, I know it sounds corny, but the journey, three, four yeah. and five, the fighting back. That's what meant so much to everybody that, that, you know, they represented New York in, in such an unbelievable way. Um, you know, what the Mets did, what the Yankees did, that it didn't matter at the end of the day that the Yankees lost. It was what they gave back to New York and, and to baseball fans everywhere. The film is Extra Innings from 9-11. It's available on HBO Max right now. Check it out. Ross and Joe, thank you for joining us on Take Line. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Thanks, fellas. already know i don't have to tell you you know what that sound means it's time for the buzzer beaters where we talk the stories we didn't cover on the show because of time and i want to start with jason jackson state and Dion sanders i know there was a little it was a little tricky in the beginning with the coach thing and call me coach and all this and that but <laughs> when i tell you watching how Jackson State was on the sidelines. They had Terrell Owens there. Imagine being the players that went to that HBCU and you have these 
NFL legends on the sidelines coaching you and then also just dropping in to show their support at the game. That's cool. Deion Sanders, if y'all didn't see the locker room pregame turn up where he tells them to play that thing and he starts to dance, I'm telling you right now, coaches like that, if HBCUs continue that culture of getting dope coaches that are from the NFL that are leading the brand, it's going to change everything for that landscape. So I loved seeing what happened with Jackson State. They even got the win. But just what's happening in HBCUs, my parents went to one, my sisters went to one. So I'm just so here for that. What you got, Jason? Well, the TV show Survivor is coming back soon. I'm a big Survivor fan, as evidenced by uh, my creation of Take Survivor, which has, again, nothing to do with the official Survivor program. I'm just mentioning it. Um, and so I've been rewatching uh, some of the seasons, just some of my favorite seasons, just to get ready. And I've been watching season 37, Davids versus Goliaths. And let me just say, for those of you who are like, uh, my dad used to watch this and my grandma used to watch this show. I haven't heard of, I ever thought about this show for 20 years or I don't, I don't like reality TV, blah, 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 blah. If you want to get in and just kind of see what it's like, season 37, Davids versus Goliaths is great. Super fun cast, really fun gameplay. All the characters are are awesome. Uh, there's some really fun strategic play, and I don't want to spoil anything else. I'll just say it's one of the best scenes of all time and certainly one of the greatest recent seasons, and it's a really, really, really fun watch. If you want to watch it as pure entertainment, as just kind of like a... a, a a stand-in for sports that you don't think too deeply about, you can watch it like that. If you want to watch it as like a show that reveals something about people's true personalities, their true natures, you can watch it like that. If you want to watch it as like a strategic show, you can do that. It's a just a really, really fun season. Check it out. That's it for us. Follow and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever yes. you get your podcasts and check out my new podcast, X-Ray Vision. I dive into the highly anticipated premiere of Why the Last Man and MCU star Simu Liu joins us to talk about his experience making Marvel's latest box office success, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Follow X-Ray Vision on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Goodbye. Let's go! Take Line is a crooked media production. The show is produced by Carlton Gillespie and Zuri Irvin. Our executive producers are myself and Sandy Gerard. Our contributing producers are Caroline Reston, Elijah Cohn, and Jason Gallagher. Engineering, editing, and sound design by Sarah Gibble-Laska and the folks at Chapter 4. And our theme music is produced by Brian Vasquez. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Your home is your place of peace. It's clean. It's welcoming. <sighs> and it's definitely not crawling with invading insects if you use Ortho Home Defense Max. Use it indoors on non-porous surfaces to treat and prevent cockroaches, spiders, and ants for up to 12 months. So your home can stay your place of peace, your work-from-home office, and your family's headquarters. Kill bugs inside, keep bugs outside, and love your home. Visit ortho.com for more.